0: Amen. Isn't the Lord good? We've been studying the laws of the harvest over the past number of weeks, and uh, I know we've gone through all four of them, so we know all four of them, but I want to talk today about a proof. When I was in high school and uh, college, took math classes, we would have theorems. And the theorems were such that this is what should happen, and then there would be a proof to the theorem. There would be a proof to the equations. So we've been talking about the equation, if you will, of the four harvest laws. And today I want to talk to you about the proof. And the proof that the four harvest laws are true is Jesus. So we're going to talk today about the life and death resurrection of Jesus as a proof to the theorem of the four harvest laws. Now, we know what these, uh, let me turn my little flipper on here. We know the harvest laws to be, the law of investment says only reap if you sow. Law of identity says reap what you sow. Law of increase says reap more than you sow, then the law of interval says sow, and then be patient. And here's the truth, guys. The truth is the laws of the harvest work whether we follow them or not. Whether you believe in them is irrelevant because God has set these laws in motion and they are going to work for your benefit or for your destruction. The laws of the harvest will not cannot be broken. So it is only right of us to know that Galatians chapter six, seven and eight. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So this is the fact of the matter that as we either believe or disbelieve the laws, we will either be reaping to the spirit or to the flesh. But as we faithfully invest and act according to the word, here's the key. We are the benefactors of the harvest laws as we are followers of Christ. And with that, when I'm a follower of Christ and I am in in putting into practice these harvest laws and I'm seeing God's blessing and I'm seeing God working as I am faithfully putting these in place, I will automatically want to give him praise. That's what I guess confuses me so much. We talked about it in Sunday school today and and it confuses me so much when we see people that are supposedly Christian people that aren't praising people. Because if you truly are a Christian, if you truly are a Christ follower, if you truly are an image bearer of Christ through the blood of Christ, you can't help but praise Him. You can't help but have a worshiping heart. Because that's what naturally flows out of The harvest laws is worship and praise. Now, let me ask you the question, what does God get out of it? What does God get out of the harvest laws? I'm going to answer the question, then I'm going to tell you why. What God gets out of this is a closer relationship with you. And that's all that matters to him. He wants relationship with you. He loves you so much. All he wants is a relationship with you. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your resources. He doesn't want your good looks. He doesn't want your all your accomplishments in your life. He doesn't want your car. He wants the one thing that he cannot take because he could take your money. He could take your health. He could take your wealth. But the one thing that he wants from you that he cannot take is a willing relationship. That's all he wants. So he puts all these laws into action here so that we then can have a joyful heart of relationship with him. That's the person that God is well pleased with. He's not pleased with the person that's religious. He's not pleased with the person that gives the most money in the offering. He's not pleased with that. What he's pleased with is the person that says, Lord, I'm going to give my all to you, beginning with my relationship, and then everything else will follow. That's what the laws of the harvest are for. That's how they're designed. And as we get this, as we capture this, we will find themselves to be a pretty good thing for us because it's all for our benefit As we see the fruit come to bear of the things that we've planted, as we see the harvest coming to bear, we will see that our investment is well worth it. It's a great life to live as a Christ follower. So I want to take this morning to prove that these laws work just as God intends them to work. And of course, Jesus is always the perfect example. Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is proof that the laws of the harvest are not only true and proven, but they're also put in place for our benefit and our benefit alone. See, if we chose wisely, we'll see that there will be great reward for us. If we choose wisely as we put these actions in place, we'll see a great benefit if we do that. We'll come back to that point later. But I want you to know that Jesus was required. He was required to go through the same process of living and dying as we are. He came to earth as a human. As he predicted his death, he knew why he came. He he knew his purpose and he knew why he had to come and why what he was supposed to do here. If we open up your Bible or look on the screen, John chapter twelve, beginning at verse twenty four. John chapter twelve, beginning at verse twenty four. This is in the Living Bible translation. It says, Jesus replied that the time had come for him to return to his glory in heaven. And that I must fall and die like a kernel of wheat that falls into the furrows of the earth. Unless I die, I will be alone, a single seed. But my death will produce many new wheat kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. If you love your life down here, you will lose it. If you despise your life down here, you will exchange it for eternal glory. If these Greeks want to be my disciples... Tell them to come and follow me, for my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Shall I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that is the very reason why I came. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would just bring this passage alive to our hearts today. Open up your word to us and let us understand how and what you have doing and are continuing to do for us through the laws of the harvest. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of truth here in this passage, folks. Jesus understood that his purpose in coming was to be the seed to be planted so that a harvest of many more would be harvested. He understood that. He clearly understood that. And he is a perfect example of a person that, that once understanding their purpose in life He will take every opportunity he can to live to fulfill the purpose and not to be distracted by the many other opportunities that would come in to distract him. We are busy people. I get that. And I will tell you that Jesus was a busy man. Jesus had every opportunity to be just as busy as you and I are. But yet in his busyness, he never, ever forfeited relationship with his father because of the busyness of his life many people were tugging at him all the time he was a very wanted person not necessarily because of who he was but because of what he could do people would use him and manipulate him and and get every take advantage of him of him every way that they could but jesus knew how to stay out of the fray he knew how to step out when he needed to step out. And he knew when he needed to spend time with his father. And he would go many times, the Bible says, that he would go up and get up early in the morning and, and go up on the mountainside and pray. Or he'd pray there all night. And he would spend great time in relationship with his father in heaven. Because he knew his purpose. He knew that he had to stay grounded with his father if he wasn't going to be distracted. How much more should we, find ourselves needing to be grounded in the word of God so that we don't become distracted by the, wool, by the, by the pulls of this world. There's a great lesson for us to learn there. We need to have our time with the Lord alone, just you and him alone, without the distractions of the world, and say, Father, what do you want for me today? How do you want me to plant my life today? What seeds do you want to plant in my life today? And we're What seeds do you want me to plant in the lives of other people today? Because it's all about sowing so that we can reap a harvest. So let's take a minute from the perspective of the seed. If we could personify the kernel, this is what it would look like. The law of investment says one must sow if one expects to harvest. Jesus understood that, that the seed needed to be planted if there was going to be a harvest of more. Jesus understood that the seed needed to be planted if there was going to be a harvest, or a harvest of more souls. He said, I must fall and die like a kernel of wheat that falls into the furrows of the earth. Unless I die, Jesus said, I will be alone a single seed. Boy, there's, a, there's a, such a lesson here. This talks about the serious level of commitment. It's not just a simple saying that he was saying, I'm willing to die, I'm willing to be the seed, I'm willing to be the kernel. No, he was really willing to put his life in a line. This was a serious level of commitment that required that he actually go through the process of death if he was going to be the seed that brought more seeds to harvest. The Bible says there's no greater love than one has than this to lay down one 's life for one 's friends, no greater love than to die for another person that 's the example that Jesus had now it 's interesting because um, last week, I got a text from Rick, and whenever I get a text from Rick, I know it 's going to be interesting, and sure enough, it was interesting. Rick said. Um, what I was talking about was the parable of the pig and the chicken. Remember that, Rick? <laughs> so here's a little cartoon that talks about the parable of the pig and a chicken. And we see a chicken here and a pig. And the chicken says, hey, pig, we should open a restaurant. And the pig says, I'm not sure what would be call it. The chicken says, ham and eggs. And the pig's a little confused here. You can see little question marks like, what's he thinking about? And then he finally says, no thanks, I'd be committed, and you'd only be involved. This little parable really was interesting, and uh, it is a serious discussion here because Rick brought this to my attention and that, that the parable says the chicken and the pig is talking about commitment to a project or a cause one producing a dish made of ham or bacon and eggs the pig provides the ham and the chicken provides the eggs and for the chicken it's just basically a simple laying of an egg and then moving on for the pig it's laying down his life and I know that sounds kind of silly and kind of simple but that little cartoon and that fable has so much truth in it because it's easy for the chicken to give because it really isn't a sacrifice. In fact, it's a relief (laughs) because he's got to get rid of that egg. (laughs) If you imagine that chicken couldn't lay an egg, it'd be painful. It's an easy relief for the chicken to lay an egg to give it, whereas the pig says, "Ah, if you're going to have bacon this morning, guess what I got to do? Not a good thing. He'd have to give up his life. And according to the Scriptures, we have the same choice requiring the same level of commitment that we sow our flesh. We have to sow our flesh like Christ sowed his flesh. He says in that passage, if you love your life down here, you will lose it. If you despise your life down here, you will exchange it for glory, eternal glory. If you love your life down here, you'll lose it. If you, desire, if you despise your love, basically what he's saying when you despise your life, it says if you follow in the steps of Christ, if you, look, if you pick up your cross and take your cross on a daily basis like I did, that is identifying with Christ, that is planting the seeds of your death so that you can have the reap, in a, a reaping of eternal righteousness and holiness and life. It's a beautiful thing in how we follow the steps of Christ. So this takes us, the second law of identity, it says that we we reap in like kind of what we sow. We reap in like kind of what we sow. Again, we're talking about the proof of Jesus' life, proving the theorem of these laws. That's why God had to send Jesus in human form to be the seed that would be planted to save humanity from eternal separation from him and eternal punishment. See, the Old Testament sacrifices were good for a while. They were good to cover the sins of man for a season, but the blood of a bull could not pay the price of a man's sin. The death of an animal cannot pay for the price for the sins of a human. That's why Jesus had to leave heaven, and that's why he needed to take on the form of a man, because he actually had to be part of the creation if he was going to save the creation. Does that make sense? It, he, he had, to, he had to, to be a man to pay the price of man's sin. Identity says that you sow in a particular identity, you reap in a particular identity. A bull was not going to pay the price of sin for man. Jesus had to become part of his creation. He had to become a man so that he could pay the price of man's sin. And what's so interesting here is that Jesus didn't die for his sake. He died for my sake, and he died for your sake. He says, Unless I die, I will be alone, a single seed. He didn't die for himself, and he didn't need anyone to die for him. He was already perfect, and he was already very valuable. What this says, what this means here, is that at any time in the process, Jesus could have said, Father, I'm done. I could call my legions of angels and you could save me and take me back to heaven and I'm going to come back as a single seed. I'm going to come back the way I came, a single seed. Jesus came as a single man. He could have gone back to heaven as a single man and his father would have accepted him because Jesus had no sin in him. He didn't have to stay down here and pay the price for his sins. He didn't have to die for his sins. He died for my sin and he died for your sin He became the seed that created a a multiplicity of of harvest. That's what's so amazing here. Jesus understood the laws of the harvest, and he knew that he, 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 as a very valuable seed, had to die to himself and had to be planted to be, if a valuable crop was going to be harvested, he needed to die to himself. And here's the thing, guys, so do we. The law of identity says the exact same thing in our life that that the valuable seed that we are that we need to die to ourself if we're going to have a valuable harvest called eternal life. We can't just let Jesus be the, 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 the seed for us. It, it, unless we, unless we follow in His steps, it doesn't work for us. A valuable reharvest requires a valuable seed. A valuable harvest requires a valuable seed. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, then skipping to verse 33. A valuable harvest, remember remember that. A valuable harvest requires a valuable seed. It says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Now, maybe you've wondered why Jesus had to be so direct with such a hard message as this. Why did he have to require so much out of us if we're going to be a disciple of Christ? People have been forever asking this question. Can't we find a workaround? Can't we make it easier? Jesus, why do you say I have to die to myself when, when, the, when the Bible says I just need to ask for forgiveness? And then why do you say I have to die to myself? It's so, it's so hard. It's so difficult. Clearly, Jesus understood the parable of the pig and the chicken. Jesus was committed as a valuable seed. And as a result we are the valuable harvest if we are willing to do the same thing he did. What, now, what do I mean by that? I mean, the reality is that Jesus did his part in sowing the perfect seed. He did his part so that now he provided a potential for a valuable harvest. And I say po- potential because unless you and I plant our valuable seed along with his valuable seed, there is no valuable harvest. The world would say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm a Christian, because I'm a good person, because I do all good works, and because of all this stuff. That's not enough. That's like being the chicken. I'm just participating in it. I'm just claiming to be it, but I'm really not committed to it yet. You're not committed to being a Christian until you plant your seed, and you die to yourself like Jesus died, and then you have a valuable harvest called eternal life. Otherwise, you're just a chicken, and you're just providing eggs, and there's no sacrifice. Now, I am not in any way saying here that we are working our way to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. We are into heaven only by the blood of Jesus and only by his sacrifice. But I must, however, accept his sacrifice. If I don't accept it and then live according to it, then I haven't really received it. Does that make sense? an image bearer of Christ, and a follower of Christ, we die to our fleshly nature. And we understand that we are a valuable seed. And our valuable seed comes as we plant it and we harvest it, both in our own salvation and then also how we share the gospel with other people. Because we can plant seeds in other people as well. So we need to take the most valuable thing we have, and that is our own life. And we need to place it on the cross, just like Jesus did, and then we will have a harvest of eternal life with him. verses uh, Verse 27 and 33 of the passage I just read. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my, my disciple. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Another way of looking at this is, let me ask the question, are we investing our time or are we spending our time or wasting our time? Do I really want, ask yourself this question, do I really want an increase of the things that I'm spending my time on? I said at the very beginning that the laws of the harvest are going to work, no matter whether, whether you believe it or not. So do you really want a harvest of how you're spending your days today? Are they going to produce a spiritual harvest that you'll want in eternity? Think of that. See, the life of a true Christian is an example of Christ, meaning that we are Christ-like. We do what Christ does. He gave us his all so that we can give him our all. Now, let's, let's just think about this for a quick minute. Does it even make sense to what I'm saying? Is it even logical? You see, if Christ was to empty himself of heaven's Uh, splendor and come down to earth and become a man and die for us and to go through that kind of commitment for us and then to die uh, just a terrible death does it only make sense that we would have to invest ourselves in a similar fashion I mean why does it even make sense that Christ would give himself Christ would be the in the terms of this example he would be the pig committing himself and we would just be a chicken saying, no, I'll just give an egg. And then we're going to expect him to be pleased with us. Does that make sense? I mean, for a person that commits, think about it in your life. You commit yourself to somebody. You commit yourself to your spouse or your friends or, or whoever it is, your children, whatever. You commit yourself. You give yourself all all yourself to them. And they just reply back with, a well, thanks, with a little bit of an attitude. Is it enough? And how many times have we given God just an attitude? Hmm. See, in God's economy, we need to thank him. And our thanks is in obedience. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And that's proof of our love for him is that we're obeying him. And we're giving him everything that we have. The third law that we're proving today is the law of increase. Saying that I reap more than you sow. Our text this morning shows that Jesus clearly understands that only as he is willing to be the seed that's planted will many others be able to be harvested. Jesus understood that. He says, By my death will produce many new wheat kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And I know that this is obvious, but I think it's worth worth repeating for us is that Christ died for us before we were in relationship with him. I mean, we were still ugly, sinful people, and Jesus planted himself for us. He died for us while we were still sinners. That's what the Bible says, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own life for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even more than that, if you go down to Romans 5.10, he says, for while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were enemies of Christ. If you don't believe it, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, you were his enemies and hated him and were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. Jesus died for us while we were still enemies of his. So that's the reason that Jesus became the seed that would bring the harvest of eternal life for us because he was willing to be the investment. He was willing to die for us. The laws of the harvest apply to sin as much as righteousness. That's what I said at the beginning, and this is proof. This is proof. Remember, this is a sermon of proving the theorem. The laws of the harvest apply to sin as much as to righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout the whole world, so everything began to grow old and die for all sin. Adam was the seed of sin that resulted in every man, woman, and child to be born in sin. So we are sinful people. You come into this world as a sinful person. One sinful act of a man created sin in all of us. But thanks be to God, his plan didn't stop there. His plan included that Jesus would be the seed of forgiveness. So we read a little bit further down in Romans Beginning at verse 15, it says, And what a difference between a man's sin and God's forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But this one man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's mercy. Adam's one sin brought the penalty of death to many. While Christ freely takes away many sins and forgives and gives glorious life instead. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to be king over all. But all who will take God's gift of forgiveness and acquittal are kings of life because of this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin brought punishment to all, but Christ's righteousness makes men right with God so that they can live. Adam caused many to be sinners because he disobeyed God, and Christ caused many to be made acceptable to God because he obeyed. Now, the, Paul is really hitting this point hard. I mean, we've really stressed it here, that sin and righteousness obey the laws of the harvest. Through the sin of Adam came sin to all men, and through the obedience of Christ comes righteousness and forgiveness to all men. The law of increase says that Jesus is the first fruit of many to come. Romans eight twenty nine. for God knew his people in advance. And he chose him to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Now there are some religions that will take this to say that Jesus really wasn't God. He was a man. Firstborn would be an indicator of that. But what this is saying is that Jesus is the firstborn of eternal life. He died, he was was raised again, and he was reborn as as an eternal living being. And that's the way we are. He's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. That's why we have the confidence to know that we, as we sow, we will reap eternal life because Jesus did. And that brings us now to the fourth law, the law of interval. Sow and then be patient. God uses time as a tool to accomplish his plans in the life of mankind. God uses time. And I don't think we like that. In fact, I will be honest with you, I I don't always like that. Time and its consequences are something that is common to all men, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they live, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of their social status, regardless of anything in life, time is a common element of all men the world over, without exception. Time cannot be purchased. It cannot be sold. It cannot be traded or destroyed. It cannot be lost. It cannot be in any way controlled. I don't care how much money a person has. When their time is up, their time is up. (laughs) God is the creator and he rules time even though he's not controlled by it. We are. Time is fickle. At times it goes way too fast and times it goes way too slow. There have been times in my life when time seemed to drag on and it just never ended. You know what I'm talking about. The problems in life, the times that you're struggling with an issue, a health issue or a financial issue and you think, God, when is this ever going to be over? Time. But God uses every one of those things to, to our benefit if we allow him to use it. It's a tool in his tool belt to how he chisels us and to be godly people. Paul wrote of it in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with all the glory that will that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits. Here's that word, the creation, all of creation, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Time it's a, it's time can be cruel i will tell you it can be cruel and there are many other passages in god's holy word that encourage us to use our time wisely while we have it here our text in galatians that we've been talking about it says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not do what we don't give up we don't say oh god you're not it's, it's not going to happen It's not coming, so therefore I'm going to give up on it. You give up on it, and you've lost your reward. I'm just saying, that's what the Bible says. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the fourth law of interval, time. You sow, and then be patient. We're encouraged not to give up. We're encouraged to be persistent and to press in and keep the faith that God has given us and, and because there's so much better coming to us, for us, because we have a valuable seed that we've planted and God's harvest laws are going to work and he's going to provide a valuable harvest for you and I called eternal life. Jackie, would you come as I begin to conclude this? I want to read a passage here in Second Peter. Now, it's a long passage, so stick with me here. But this is what Peter wrote 2,000 years or so ago, and this is exactly what we need to hear today. It says, first, I want to remind you that in the last days, which we are living in today, we are living in the last days, there will come scoffers who will do every wrong they can think of and laugh at the truth. This will be their line of argument. So Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? He'll never come back. Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly as it was since the first day of creation. Now, let me ask you, have you seen that today? Have you seen that to be kind of what's happening in our world today? There is a lot of scoffers out there, a lot of people scoffing at the the rapture, or even scoffing at death. But Peter goes on and he says, Do not forget this, dear friends that a day or a thousand years from from now is like tomorrow to the Lord. He isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way, but he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish, and he's giving more time for sinners to repent, for the day of the Lord is surely coming as unexpectedly as a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the heavenly bodies will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be burned up. And so since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives should we be living? You should look forward to that day and hurry it along, the day when God will set the heavens on fire and the heavenly bodies will melt and disappear in flames. But we are looking forward to God's promise of new heavens and a new earth afterwards where these will only be goodness. Now, how do we hurry it along? It says that you should look forward to that day and hurry it along. I, I thought we can't hurry time. Now, we're not hurrying time. What we're doing is we're hurrying what Jesus is waiting for, and that is for everyone to be saved. He wants all men to come to a salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. That means we need to be evangelizing. It means we need to be doing our part in the harvest. The harvest is ripe. The field is ripe. It's ready to be harvested. We need to go out and do what we can do to share the good news, to share the gospel. That's how we hurry it along, by doing our part. Here's what Peter suggests, while we, what we should be doing while we're waiting. He said, Dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen and for him to come, try, to, try hard. Work hard to live without sinning and be at peace with everyone so that we will, he will be pleased with you when he returns. And remember why he's waiting. This is the answer. Why is God waiting? He's giving us time to get his message of salvation out to others. So this morning as we And the proof, I hope this has proven the fact that the laws of the harvest truly are true. And this theorem is proven out by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also by what we need to be doing in our life to plant our seeds. Our valuable seeds have to be planted just like Christ. I hope then that we can see here that time is precious. God has given you and I a allotted number of days. And we need to be doing whatever we're called to do to valuably plant our seed so that we will have that harvest. Are you wisely investing your time? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or do we find ourselves wasting it here? I know it's difficult to admit. It's difficult. I know it. Because I have the difficulty with myself admitting that there are times in my life when I haven't given God my best. But I've given him second place. And I wonder if that's the same for you as well. Remember, God cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow. Jesus has proved the law of the harvest and it really works. So this morning as we end this discussion, I just want to challenge us all this morning. What are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our seed? Are we simply spending it or wasting it? Or are we investing it? Now you may say, but Mike, I'm an old person. And I don't know a lot of people. I can't really go out and do what I could have when I was younger. Well, let me tell us all what we can do in our older years we can get on our face and pray, we can intercede for our children. We can intercede for our church. We can intercede for our community. We can fast and pray. We can do all the things that, would, that God would require of you age appropriately. That's what he's asking you to do. That's what he's requiring of us to do. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, I just come to you firstly and say, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that haven't been always pleasing to you. And I repent of those things. I I own them. I take responsibility for them. And I say, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Now repentance says that I will change and I will begin to go the other direction. And I will begin now to put into action what I've in the past maybe put off so that I don't repeat the same mistakes. Mistakes. So, Father, forgive me. Now give me the power through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me your enabling grace to give me the strength to move on and to do the things that are required of me to do, to plant the valuable seed of my life. God, give me the ability to pray harder and pray more and to be more sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading. God, if it's in an area of giving of my time, giving of my resources, giving of my financial ability, whatever it is, God, help me to be faithful in that. Help me to trust you with that. Help me not to be stingy in planting the seed. Father, I thank you for for the people of this church. I thank you for those that are committed here. I thank you how you have been proven faithful in their lives over and over again. And Lord, I just continue to ask that you would progressively make us more dependent upon you more dependent upon who you are. Continue to increase the harvest in our lives. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. I thank you, and I love you, and I praise your name. Amen.
1: be. your feet I lay my crowns down at
0: your feet Father I just pray that is our prayer today that as we go to our homes today as we go out and enjoy the beauty, the beauty of you, the, your creation that you've created for us today Father that we truly would lay our life down that we would take everything that you've given and we would just give it back to you joyfully and willingly and say Father take us Take us and use us and multiply the efforts of your goodness in us. And God, I pray blessing on this body today. Lord, as they go, that they would just operate and they would live in the power of the Holy Spirit today and throughout this week. And we would be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed today.